Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Look, I think the president has every right to be deeply, deeply frustrated at the failure of his attorney general to exercise leadership. Uh, I also note that in the Wall Street Journal this morning, you had a former special agent of the FBI wrote a devastating piece where he suggests pretty directly that Brennan, who was the head of the CIA and is a, is a radical leftist who voted for the Communist Party back in the 70s, uh, Brennan may have actually used the CIA to help set up the FBI to start the whole investigation uh, based on a series of things which we now know increasingly are false. So imagine you're the president. You're looking out here and you're saying, let me get this straight. The FBI lied to the FISA court judge. The CIA may have deliberately set up the FBI. And I got an attorney general who doesn't have uh, the, the toughness needed to start cleaning out the snake pit. And by the way, notice what the trial's about. They're not going after Manafort for collusion with Russia. Mm -hmm. They're going after Manafort on things like taxes. This is exactly what independent counsels do. They can't solve the case they were hired for, so they invent a case. And I'll tell you, if Manafort wins this, and there's a good chance he will, I think Mueller is going to look like a fool. And I think the whole country is going to shrug off everything else that Mueller does. Wow. Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's great to be with you this morning. And I am really excited about our show today. We have three guests and a lot of topic to run through, a lot of, a lot of different news stories and things that we're going to be going through today on the program. Uh, so first of all, we're going to talk about if there is no deep state, then why is the Mueller investigation still ongoing? It's a good question. And so we're going to tackle that. Uh, you heard some audio from Newt Gingrich talking about Trump having the right to be angry at Attorney General Jeff Sessions because it appears that uh, Jeff Sessions has options as it pertains to ending the Mueller investigation or at least moving it along, and he's not exercising those. And maybe he just is really concerned with his legacy and being impartial, but America is wasting money on this investigation. And so we're going to get back into that in just a minute. Our three guests for today are Eric Trump. He'll be coming on at the end of this hour. We'll first speak with Heather Long, an economics correspondent for The Washington Post. And then we'll close out the show in hour two with Kathleen McKinley. And these are fantastic guests. Kathleen happens to be a good friend of mine, so... Really excited to get to speak to her again today. And uh, it's our first time interviewing anyone from the Trump family. So we're really excited about that. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to get to all of that. But we have quite a bit of information to pack in as well. Um, I have this really interesting piece that was written by someone who is Latino and talks about how very, very true it is that Latinos can assimilate into American culture. Now, I, for one, have never said they couldn't. In fact, I, that's what I'm a proponent of. I believe that immigration done well leads to assimilation, which leads to a more vibrant America. We're not a nation of immigrants, not by any means, but we are a nation that welcomes people from other countries who want to be Americans. And that's the crux of the argument there. And so you might have seen on Twitter, I had a, a kind of a long tirade last night where I tweeted out a bunch of different information and a few people tweeted back lies, fake news. But when I'm getting information from the government, government statistics, those have not yet been debunked. There's there's no reason not to trust the numbers that we're getting on uh, from Immigration and Customs Enforcement on what how many people they're arresting, how many people that are apprehended go on to be convicted of crimes. There's no reason to discount that information. In fact, 
The only information that I kind of find really spurious after doing some reading is the census data information on illegal immigration because illegal immigrants tend not to want to interact with the government, especially the census, because they know that uh, apportionment is based on legal citizens, lawful citizens who live in a congressional district. And so being there illegally and admitting it means there's no federal dollars there for you. (laughs) So it's better to just not be counted and use the services and kind of, you know, bust through the budgets because the the spending is going to go on. So very, very nuanced conversation there. And we'll get back into that in just a second. We're also going to talk about hundreds of North Carolina teachers flunking math exams. And the article says it may not be their fault. Now, they changed to a different testing agency and all of that. We'll get into the details I was reading this last night. I found the story uh, online. I was going through all the websites that I read in the evening. And when I read it, the first thing I thought is yet another reason why parents need to seriously consider homeschooling. And this is me talking to you as someone who I'm not called to homeschool. I ended up homeschooling our senior this year, but only as record keeper. She was actually instructed by degreed professionals at a learning center for homeschooled students who are in high school. But there are so many options out there now. And so what I'm seeing around the country and specifically in areas that have high uh, private school populations like St. Louis as a metro area has an extraordinary number of private schools. And I mean, we're talking secular private schools that are extremely liberal and then Catholic schools. And those run the gamut from liberal all the way to ultra conservative and then private Christian schools. So does the state of Pennsylvania have a huge just offering and they have a lot more homeschool options. But I only say that because I was only recently made aware that here in St. Louis, we have an amazing array of homeschool options as well. So the homeschool population in America is exploding. And so this story is going to be uh, interesting to unpack and talk about. And then I have our little holdover from yesterday, which we have to get to today, which is the Ohio Cafe that's continuing their church flyer discount even though they're getting threatened by atheist groups with lawsuits because they feel like it's their right to offer a discount to anyone they want to. So we're going to talk about that as well. Now, let's get back to Newt Gingrich, who he completes out this this interview, the parts that we're going to be listening to, talking about the fix being in in Washington. And so I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't have a tinfoil hat. I don't plan on crafting one, although we do have a copious amount of aluminum foil in the kitchen. I'm not interested in conspiracy theories. But I do think that we can ascertain a few things by logically deducing, going from one fact to the next, about the situation that's going on in Washington, D.C. Now, you may not have seen the story. I I recommend you go over to the Lid blog. It's lidblog.com and read some of his work over there. Jeffrey Dunnitz, his friend of the show, comes on. Fantastic intellect. And he is outstanding at pulling everything and then blogging about it and bring it all together for you. So you don't have to read every word of every news story. Just read his blog. And so what he has deduced from the FISA warrant that was issued for the Carter Page surveillance that led to the uh, investigation into so-called Russia collusion between the Trump campaign and, and people in the Trump orbit and Russia is that it was all based on the Steele dossier. If you take the Steele dossier out of the Carter Page FISA warrant application, there simply is no reason to surveil Donald Trump or his campaign. Now, you might be thinking, well, okay, so, you know, devil's advocate. Well, the dossier, that was vetted, right? Well, they couldn't verify the information. The dossier 
was written by this former MI6 agent who's, you know, he's living in Russia and he's putting together unverified reports, so gossip, and he's creating this dossier because he's being paid to do so by the Clintons for the Hillary Clinton campaign. So at what point do you take, if someone hands you a piece of paper that's written by someone who, honestly, if you're your former MI6 agent, you have some credibility, right? You're living abroad. Someone hands you a gossip rag about some people that you know or some people you dislike, and it's all crafted from secondhand accounts and unverified sources. People said, people said they heard, yada, yada, yada. And even if it's, you know, a thousand pages long, if it has no verification, no evidentiary support, at what point do you take that and show it to someone in another agency, then show it to someone in another agency and then take their memos about it and cobble all of that together to say, well, the FBI believes it, so we at the DOJ should believe it too. Well, did the FBI say they believed it or did Brennan, an admitted communist, say he thought it was possibly true? This whole thing is a sham. And I've said over and over again on the air that I am perfectly willing to, uh, you know, be open to the fact that there may something may have happened. Someone in the Trump world may have done something wrong. If they did, they need to be brought to justice. I'm I this isn't sycophancy for me over here. But. If no one's done anything wrong and the only evidence that exists of the supposed wrongdoing that is the impetus for the investigation comes from an unsourced, salacious piece of garbage. Why are the American taxpayers funding this witch hunt, which that's what it is. It's not an investigation if the only piece of evidence you have is that some guy who he's obviously going to put something in the report. He's being paid by the Clintons to bring dirt on Donald Trump. Just like we don't read the National Enquirer here on this program, we would never accept unsourced information from some guy who's being paid to create it as evidence of any wrongdoing not just here on this show, but that's that's not the way our justice system works in America. Innocent until proven guilty. And you have to be proven guilty. Evidence has to be presented that you have also had the opportunity to review. You have to have adequate legal representation and the information has to be presented to a jury of your peers before you can be convicted. Does any of that sound like what's happening right now to, to the president? I mean, I if he was guilty, you know, my dad's in law enforcement. I would be like, that's that's too bad not defending that. But if it's just something that was meant to keep him from being the president, we have a bigger problem and the wrong people are being prosecuted. The wrong people are being put under the microscope. So when Newt Gingrich says that there's a possibility that Manafort could actually beat this charge, imagine if he were to take this to civil court, and I'm not sure if he can, if it's a special prosecutor, can he take uh, you know, a, a matter of improper prosecution or, or you know, whatever, can he take that to civil court and sue anybody, Mueller or anyone else? I think that Mueller has immunity because he's serving in a government capacity. But what could he do? He's been in jail. Manafort's been in jail. I mean, he's been in solitary confinement. His life has been destroyed. His family, everything has just been utterly wrecked. If he's innocent, just imagine, just None of us want to have to go through that. And I certainly, I know I, I would say Democrats don't want to go through it, but they can never, ever like see someone who's hurting or in pain or who's, you know, got sick or anything. If you're a conservative and they know it, then you just don't have any feelings. And what you're going through isn't real. 
So we won't even ask if they could understand how this is totally wrong and how no one should have their life destroyed simply because they work for a campaign for 90 days for someone who really beat the pants off Hillary Clinton. I, I know the, the wins were narrow, 80,000 votes in three states and all that stuff, but the Electoral College wins were significant and it was a total beatdown. And that's why people are still smarting and that's why this witch hunt's still going on. So let's get back to it. He's, he's talking about the fix being in in Washington. It's number two. He's not going to fire Jeff Sessions because the fix is in in Washington and he would not be able to get anybody approved uh, the, the, the Senate would go crazy. About a third of the Republicans would go crazy. Uh, and you'd be back in a kind of Watergate-like environment. So I think President Trump's far better off to, to endure this, uh, publicly be angry, but endure it. But on the other hand, if, if, if Jeff Sessions wanted to as attorney general, he has absolute authority to fire the entire Mueller team. And, and I, I originally tweeted that I thought Mueller was a very respectable guy. And then I watched him hire these 17 lawyers that Trump is talking about. This is a disgraceful, one-sided witch hunt by a bunch of left-wing Democrats. And it's compounded because we have learned since then about Comey. We've learned since then about uh, the, the number two guy at the FBI. We've learned since then about Strzok. Every time we turn around, we learn more things that indicate that the sickness in the Justice Department and the senior levels of the FBI was very real and I think should scare everybody. You have the power of the police being that corrupt. Uh, you have huge dangers for freedom in America. And that's what we're talking about here. Um, you know, if, if you're any kind of a person with a conscience, then you ought to know that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We've, we've seen that. I mean, one of the best examples of what happens when you throw your cares to the wind and don't consider how the shoe could go onto the other foot, the other foot being yours, is the Democrats' decision to remove the filibuster and how that has come back to bite them in all of these nominations for you know these judges. The, the court's just getting filled up with judges that are the pick of Donald Trump because they don't have anything they can do about it. That's what's at stake here. If Manafort can be rung through for nothing, then any Democrat can. And we, th there's plenty of them that need to be rung through because they're guilty of things. But how about people who aren't guilty? This should sear the consciousness and, and really make us all outraged that this is going on and we're paying for it. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Heather Long, economics correspondent for The Washington Post. She'll be with us right after these important messages. Stay there. What if I told you that you could clean your family's laundry and help reach the next generation at the same time? That opportunity is here through a company called Redeem Clean. Every time you use Redeem Clean products, you help support the Ministry of the American Family Association. In addition to your regular AFA giving, Redeem Clean laundry detergent allows you to increase your support of AFA just by continuing to wash your family's clothes. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made in the USA. And they were developed exclusively for the support of the American Family Association. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. 
Learn more, find options, and order Redeem Clean products at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with the Legacy Moment. Former U.S. Congressman J.C. Watts, in his fascinating biography, recounts what his life was like growing up in Eufaula, Oklahoma. He was blessed to have parents who believed in him and who would not allow him to use his background or adversity as an excuse not to be all he could be. This has caused him to carry with him a sense of personal responsibility for his choices and for his life. That's refreshing these days. Now, to be sure, the pain of our past is real, and it does have an effect on us. But there are times in our lives when we need to walk away from being a victim. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 7 through 9 is a call to step up and to embrace our responsibility. Verse 7 says, Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a horror as you see. Now do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. Here we have it. God says, look, own your life. He says, we don't have to do what others have done. Here's what I want you to remember today. God's grace can enable us to repent and sustain a positive direction, a direction that leads to his heart and demonstrates his goodness through a life that says, I am responsible. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. All right, welcome back to the show. Stacy Washington, I'm the co-chair of uh, National Center's Advisory Council, Project 21, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. I also want to say a huge thanks to Brian Fisher. He's the host of Focal Point over at uh, American Family Radio, which is the parent organization of Urban Family Talk. And he had me on his program today to discuss the show being picked up by AFR in the place of the hour, the second hour of his program. So we'll be live. The first hour of this show will be live on American Family Radio starting on Monday. And we're very excited about that. I am so grateful. And so, I mean, it's it's hard to articulate how much this is answered prayer for me and also hard for me to truly expound upon how much respect I have for Brian Fisher and the work that he's done. He is an amazing intellect, a fantastic radio personality, and a man of God, someone that is greatly to be admired and, and respected. And so it was an honor for me to get to go on his program today and to talk to the listeners about what's happening on Monday. And uh, it just, it was such, it was such a treat. And I've listened to his show many times before at all. Uh, his interaction with his producers and other on-air staff, I'll, I'll be laughing and giggling at, uh, the, the, they have a good time. And so it's wonderful to uh, have this opportunity. But I wanted to be on the record here on the show and say thanks. And what I'm talking about is that Monday will be carried, the first hour of the show will be on 180 stations, all 180 stations owned by American Family Radio. Same channel, same bat station. So Whatever mechanism you use to listen now, you don't need to change anything. 
But if you are listening to the nighttime program, so I'm saying this because we are re-aired on 60 of American Family Radio stations at night, and that's midnight to 2 a.m., and we have a pretty good audience in that time slot. And so I've already had some people reach out and say, oh, I'm going to listen to you in the afternoon now because you're on in my area, North Houston, things like that. So um, it's it's a huge change for us, and we're excited. I'm really grateful to Will Addison and, of course, Jim Stanley and you know, my producer, Devin, um, all, all, all the whole team over here, Cedra, everybody who has anything to do with the show, super excited about this new, um, it's a new opportunity for us. So we'll, that starts on Monday. Um, so right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Heather Long. She's an economics correspondent for the Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heather. Hi, it's good to be here. Okay, so I'm excited to talk to you. Um, the economy. I love talking about the economy because I'm a huge, big time, unabashed, like American flag wearing capitalist. I love hearing that people are making money, that people are working, that people have their jobs going on, that that regulation is reduced, that we can do more things. Um, I'm always a proponent of doing more, not less, uh, when it comes to economics and, and things that we can do to work for ourselves and make a life for ourselves. When you talk about the just some statistics going on around the economy growing at 4.1 percent? Yeah, it was a great second quarter growth figure, Um, you know, best in four years. So there's no doubt about it. It's a strong number. We saw the Federal Reserve reiterate that yesterday in their statement. Um, but it's also important to remember the president sometimes calls it unprecedented. That's going a bit too far. It has happened. And we have had plenty of quarters in the past when we've had 4 or even 5% growth. Um, but it's certainly a very good trend. The, what was driving that strong growth in the second quarter, it's a combination of two things. One is we're seeing the tax cuts. We're seeing that work through. We're seeing a lot of consumer spending, a lot of Americans opening their wallets to spend for their families and for their businesses. That's a really good sign, and that is likely to continue in the coming months. The other thing that we saw, though, that was really pushing that number over 4% was um, an unusually large amount of exports in the second quarter, particularly of soybeans. And some of that is the result of companies overseas trying to buy U.S. agricultural products before those tariffs set in in that first week in July. So that was kind of artificially inflating that number a little bit, and that's why most economists say, you know, we're still on track for a very good year in 2018, probably close to 3% growth, which would be very good, but um, we're probably not going to be at 4% in the third or fourth quarter. Okay. So I I also love the facts as they lay on the ground. I don't, I don't need to have anything sugar-coated for me. And so what are you looking at, like if you were speaking about projections for the first quarter of next year, or do you even, do you go there at this point? Where, where do you see it trending? That's the biggest question of all. And there's a huge debate between White House economists and and most of the mainstream economists over what's going to happen next year. Almost everybody agrees this year is going to be a good year, particularly after those tax cuts and after some additional government spending that's been going on at the federal level. Uh, So, again, 3% growth or close to it is likely to happen this year. But after that, most mainstream economists believe that the bounce will fade. 
trade, that this is more of a one-time bounce. We're going to get a great 2018, and for 2019 and 2020, it's going to return back closer to that 2% level that we've seen for most of this recovery the last decade. Um, so next year's 2019 number would be closer to a 2.5%. Again, that's still a pretty darn good number for the United States, and many other countries around the world would love to have that. Um, but that's not you know, that stellar number that um, President Trump would really like to see going forward. So we'll see. It's a big debate. We'll see what happens. Well, I, I honestly, just knowing the, Trump, the, the persona of the president, I wouldn't expect him to come out to the podium and say, well, we're looking at 2.2% <laughs> or, you know, I, I, that's not, not the way he um, markets his work. So, um, but I, I do think it's interesting. So when you say it's going to go back down to the 2.2%, is that because the impact of the tax reform will lessen or, or because businesses won't really be as excited about the you got fewer regular? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. So how, what does it's, that look yeah. like for employees and the, the employment rate? Will we also see fewer people working or, or will we stabilize there as well? Most people think we're going to stabilize, and I think that's going to be a very good message this year. Tomorrow we get the latest unemployment uh, rate and the latest uh, figures on how many jobs we added in July. Again, it's expected to be a very strong strong number. We're hovering. Uh, last In June we were at 4%, but um, earlier this year we were at 3.9% unemployment. Uh, we are so close. If we hit 3.7, and, and most economists think we will before the end of the year, that's going to be the lowest unemployment rate since 1969. So the the job market is definitely in very good shape. Um, With one exception, this was a problem for President Obama. It's it's still a problem for President Trump. Wages are not growing very fast in this country. Uh, It's part of the reason President Trump was elected. He rightly picked up on the fact that people are frustrated that their pay hasn't recovered since the recession and that they um, are not getting those pay opportunities they want to be able to save more and and do more with their lives and their businesses. Um, so that's what I think we really need to focus on through the rest of the year. We're going to see some good economic numbers, but keep asking yourself and those around you, have you gotten a raise? How big is that raise? Because we really want to see raises above 3% again in this country. Okay, so what could the Trump administration do to spur that on? And, and obviously, I my my hope is that all of the talk about tariffs and the kind of tough negotiations that are going around on surrounding that are going to settle down as well and that countries are going to come to the table and the president, you know, they'll meet and they'll figure something out so that the tariffs are not the new order of the day. And if that's the case, then how does the Trump administration help to bring about that second step that you've just described about having employers uh, give employees wages that are in a better range? I think you're right on trade, Stacey. I was just on the phone with someone and certain and um coming out of a good source and, and certainly NAFTA looks more promising, particularly with Mexico, which was the big hang up for a lot of the spring. And things obviously look a little bit better with Europe. Um, you know, the administration's probably still gonna go hard on China and that's unlikely to end anytime soon. But um there's pretty broad agreement in the country across the political spectrum to go hard after China. And so I think the president will will really feel a tailwind on that going forward if he ends the debates with, um, with our allies like Canada and the European Union. Uh, in terms of wage growth, <laughs> we all wish we knew the answer. 
We are the last time we saw unemployment this low in the late 1990s. Wage growth was way higher than where it is now. So a lot of people are really flummoxed at why, you know, usually when business leaders, and I'm sure you've had some on your show, when folks come on, they say, what's their number one problem? Most CEOs and business leaders from smaller or large companies say they can't find the employees they need. They can't find enough workers uh, right now to, to keep up with the high demand. That's a good problem to have. But at the same time, you know, your next question is always, well, why aren't you raising wages? <laughs> usually people raise the wages high and that's how they can attract the talent that they want to come to their business instead of the competitor across the street or in the other, another state. And um, so I don't know. I mean, the Trump administration would argue that, and they have a pretty good point to make, that by running a hot economy, by running, keeping employment so low, by doing these tax cuts, you know, they're putting additional pressure on businesses. They're giving them more money through the tax cut to be able to hopefully give some of that money to workers. And that um, this hot economy, keeping that unemployment rate so low should should help to to do what we all think should happen with those wage increases. But again, is it going to happen? I don't know. People have been saying that for the last three years and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I I, I think that's a fascinating question. And I, I will tuck that into my back pocket for the next time we have someone who's a business owner on to yeah. talk about, <laughs> you know, what? so why not just jack up those offer letters, you know, yeah. put, put some more money on the table uh, for people to you can get those employees. So how does the labor market usually respond, historically speaking, to this new phenomenon, which is, you know, it's it's almost full on it's almost full employment. So you've got full employment and then the interesting, you know, the business is kind of keeping the the pay rate. It's not I wouldn't say it's suppressed, but they're definitely not allowing it to rise to yes. kind of meet the forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do how do where do where do we go from here with that? Well, there's some good trends that are happening, and I've, I've written about this. Uh, a number of people who used to have a hard time finding employment, for instance, people who had, who had served time in prison or had a felony conviction on their record, were seeing empl- employers um, really start to give people a chance who they wouldn't have looked at before, they would have screened out. And the same thing, some, some people who have various disabilities who often struggle to find jobs, employers have realized that that's an amazing workforce um, and population in the United States is very dedicated workers, and they sometimes aren't given a chance. Same thing with, um, as as you likely know, unemployment rates for African Americans and Hispanic Americans are usually a lot higher than the Caucasian um, rates in the United States, and right now the African American unemployment rate is at its lowest on record. We started keeping that record in the early 1970s. That's good news. Same thing with the Hispanic American rate. And so, um, you know, so we're starting to see opportunities for workers who were really struggling throughout that recovery to get the chance they deserved. So that's a good sign, and I think we'll keep seeing that going forward. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it just continues to be this question of whether that wage growth will come through. Tomorrow we're expecting another kind of disappointing, mediocre figure of about 2.7% wage growth. That sounds halfway decent. Hey, you know, it's not nothing. But the reality is that the costs are now rising. And this good, um, so the cost of food and the cost of rent, I know my rental increase just came through, and it was a, a little bit higher every month. And so a lot of people's pay, their entire pay increase, that 2.7% is being eaten up, being wiped out by those higher costs that they're facing now in the economy. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, 
That's definitely a problem because that means effectively no raise because your, yep. your apartment's not changed. It's not gotten bigger. doesn't have a new dishwasher in it. It's just the same apartment. I, I, I get that. That that could be an area where we could possibly see the president kind of spur business leaders on. It'd be great to have him tweet out something about needing to increase wages. Um, we'll have to wait and see if he actually does something like that. I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Fantastic analysis. I put your article that is over at the Washington Post in the live stream over at the Facebook page. Uh, so everybody can click on it and read it. Um, Heather Long, economics correspondent for the Washington Post, thank you for your expertise and analysis today. Thanks a lot. Love your program. Take oh, care. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, that I love it when you know experts come on, and she definitely had a, a wide breadth of, of experience to speak about this subject. I have to say... Um, it's interesting because I know President Trump approaches all of these things from the businessman perspective. And so it is not natural for business people who own businesses and employ lots of people to want to just give blanket raises. And there have been some rounds of raises. In fact, a significant number of companies gave out raises and bonuses after the tax reform. But it's interesting that Heather actually looks forward a, a, a scotch like to next year this time and sees the impact of that kind of leveling off. And so then you have to wonder, will the Trump administration come in with a second round of tax cuts? They have talked about that being only the first step. And if they do more tax reform, will that spur yet more uh, movement in the market as it pertains to employers increasing wages? And so that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on and uh, be be hopefully uh, expectant that something good would occur. So we have just another minute, I think. Um, and so I want, I don't know if if we have the time to do cut five. It's Devin Nunez talking about the Carter page, FISA being redacted to hide the part that the Steele dossier played and cover the intel agencies. Let's just go out with that. Absolutely. So what we heard for a long time is that the memo that we created to make sure that the American public knew that the FISA contained the Steele dossier or the so-called dirt that the Clinton campaign paid for, got bought it from Russians fed it to the FBI in order to get a, a FISA warrant on Carter Page, we said that that made up the bulk of the FISA. We were, we were made fun of, we were told that was wrong, that we were lying, when in fact we were 100% right. It did make up the bulk of the FISA. Then you saw, you noticed that right after that came out, they said, well, but what's really important is the information that's redacted. Then lo and behold, they found out that just a couple months before, the Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee had actually asked for about 20 pages, at least 20 pages, to be declassified of the Carter Page FISA. Those today, Tucker, remain redacted and hidden from the public. We believe that if the public saw that information, they would have a very clear picture to what Director Comey called a mosaic. Well... You're going to want to hear the remainder of that audio, but you can't do it now because we have important messages for you. So what we're going to do is go to the break. And when we get back, we'll have our next guest and then I'll squeeze that audio in. I will. I'll do it next hour, maybe. So you don't want to miss that. Stay there. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Christ is the classic example of the role model we are called to be. A tour through scripture reveals a Christ who was always finding people where they were and taking them where they needed to be. He was always seeking people who thought they were nobodies and making them into somebodies. 
Jesus is the example we're to follow, the person we were meant to be like. We won't reach perfection until we see him face to face, but we are called always to be moving in that direction. God didn't just glorify himself by sending Jesus into this world. If we will let him, he glorifies himself by sending Jesus into this world through us. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. A new poll by Gallup reports a record number of Americans viewing illegal immigration and illegal aliens as the most important issue facing the country. Gallup routinely asks this question, what do you think is the most important problem facing this country today? After immigration sampling next in order of importance were dissatisfaction with government, poor leadership, and race relations. Interesting that on the most important problem question, 22% of respondents naming immigration represents the highest percentage naming that issue in the history of the question. Just a month before, only 14% of Americans felt the same. Of course Americans are concerned. We have a crisis at our southern border that both sides of the political aisle are responsible for. And no one is being held responsible. In the private sector, rampant waste, abuse, and mismanagement will get a leader fired, sued, and ruin their reputation. Mismanagement in government gets one reelected. What a shame. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is eschewing the traditional August recess for the Senate, so senators can complete most of the spending bills which fund the government before the October 1st deadline. And so the Senate will toil throughout the month. But President Trump keeps tramping on the Republican narrative, threatening in a series of tweets to shutter the government if Congress doesn't cough up money for his border wall. Ironically, a government shutdown in October would trigger a cutoff of a down payment for the border wall to the tune of $1.6 billion. It's possible Congress would approve an interim spending bill for some parts of the government, such a Band-Aid plan would automatically renew the money at the existing level, but not if there's a government shutdown. House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell met with President Trump recently to discuss strategy for avoiding a shutdown. If McConnell has his way, the Senate will approve nine of the 12 annual spending bills by the end of the month. That accounts for 90 percent of all entitlement spending and represents the fastest the Senate has worked on appropriations bills in two decades. Yet the president's threat sidetracked that. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Well, welcome back to the show. Guess what, you guys? We are so excited about next week when we go to all 180 stations of American Family Radio right here. Stacy on the Right. You guys, I'm going to be bouncing up and down and like freaking out, but I'll try not to do that on the air. So, uh, go to StacyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. Thank you guys for being here today. And uh, happy Thursday to you, early Friday, or the Friday evening, as I like to call it. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Eric Trump. Eric Frederick Trump is an American businessman, philanthropist, and he's the son of the President of the United States, one of the sons of the President of the United States. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Eric, thank you for joining in today. Thanks for coming on today. Eric, can you hear me? Hey, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. How are you doing, Stacey? I'm doing great. Um, so it's a pleasure to speak with you. And I actually, when, when I got the notification that you could join in today, I didn't even send over anything for us to discuss because there's so much going on. And I'd love for you to kind of drive the conversation. So what would you like to share with us about what's going on in the business world or Trump administration, uh, uh, anything? 
I, I, I can talk about anything um, and anybody. So, you know, yeah. you, you feel free. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wing in. We'll do a great job. Um, but, you know, talk about trade. We can talk about, you know, the rallies. We can talk about the news. We can talk about the economy. We can talk about family. We can talk about growing up. I mean, we can grow, talk about anything you want. I mean, absolutely Well, you know what we'll want, do? So. We'll tackle all of those, but we'll have to do them in bits because I've got you for just the top of the hour today. So let's, let's start off with the rallies. There's been a lot of news and uh, all of the news surrounds Jim Acosta whining like a baby because people don't like him and they point him out at the rallies when you're pre- when when the president is talking. Yeah, listen, I think that's I, I think that's right. You know, I mean, it's 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 a shame. I mean, for the amount of time we're heckled and the amount of time um, that's spent on CNN spewing nonsense uh, about my father and about my family, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, Jim Acosta is heckled for for four minutes and you know he um, you know he starts whining about it and. Uh, it's, it's not surprising. Um, listen, I don't really like to see anybody heckled. I'm a pretty nice guy, and you know, I don't really like to see people punch down. Um, you know, generally, that's been my personality my whole life. You know, at the same time, it's you know, you see the amount of fake news that's out there. You see the amount of garbage um, that gets said every single night, and um, you know, it's very sad. Um, there's no question that media has has degraded um, over the last 10, 15 years. Part of that's probably the 24-hour news cycle, but. Um, you know, so oftentimes, you know, people are offended when, um, you know, when they're heckled, but they go out, they do the exact same thing and uh, nothing's ever said about it. And so there definitely is a double standard. I agree. And I, I really wish that it used to be there was a time in this country where if a public official gave you criticism, whether you liked it or not, a another media person or a reporter would kind of do an introspective look. Have I only written negative stories or am I being unfair to this person? And they would kind of redress their efforts and, and try to come up to the standard. We've not seen that from CNN or Jim Acosta, which is why I don't feel as sympathetic towards him as I would someone else who was genuinely making a good faith effort to report on the president. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, you know, it, it's most of those other stations aren't also heckled. I mean, CNN is, is, is one of the very few that that is heckled time and time again. And, you know, I often think, you know, once you see that criticism, I mean, maybe it's worth taking an internal look at, at what you're doing individually that's, that's got you to the point where you have, you know, a rally where you have, uh, you know, 10,000 people. These are hardworking, great American patriots, um, you know, amazing people who are spending their, their afternoon somewhere. And they've really been offended uh, so much that they're actually willing to, you know, to heckle somebody a little bit. And, Again, I, I don't like to see it see it happen, but I think sometimes you have to look in at yourself. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, I'll, I'll watch and, you know, I have to, you know, for better or worse, you know, know what everybody's saying. And so, you know, I'll flip through all the, all the channels. And, you know, so oftentimes I'm just disappointed by how well this – I'm disappointed by how – I'm disappointed to see how little time is spent reporting on how well – the country is doing right. We've got the lowest unemployment that we've ever had among African Americans, among Hispanics, among women. Right? I mean, just across the board, manufacturing is coming back to this country. Our economy is growing at 4.1 percent. I mean, that's incredible. Our GDP is growing at 4.1 percent. I mean, I remember when my father was on the campaign trail, he said, "You know, listen, you know, I, I can grow GDP at over three percent. There's no question about it. I'd like it to be higher, but I know I can do it." And I remember, you know, seeing the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times and everybody else come out and say, "You know, um, you know, real Donald Trump is dreaming. There's no way he's going to achieve three percent." All the economists think he's he's nuts. I mean, they were literally laughing at him. Then all of a sudden, last week it comes out: economy is growing at four point one percent, the best in years and years and years and years and years. You know, and, and no one even gives them credit for it. You know, they talk about nonsense Russian collusion. They talk about, you know, garbage. I mean, 
it, it's really sad. And, um, you know, you would think that so many of these people would be rooting for this country. So oftentimes I think they're rooting against this country. And, you know, I'm a really patriotic person. And I just find that I find that really unfortunate sometimes. I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you when it comes to disagreeing with those, you know, on the other side of the aisle or, you know, politics. I, I welcome that. I think the jousting is healthy, but I do think at some subject matters like immigration, for instance, or the trade deals that your father is actually working on making with our, some of these people are our closest partners and allies, and they've been raking us over the coals. And it's not an exaggeration. They really have gotten like a buffet of a deal free, free ride from America for decades. And now that he just wants to balance the sheet a tad, he's not even asking them to carry their own weight, just come up a little bit. And they're screaming bloody murder. And Americans, we should be unified in supporting that effort. Uh, We had Heather Long, who's an economics correspondent for the Washington Post on last segment, and she was talking about the only kind of issue that she sees with some of the excitement around the growth is that businesses aren't raising wages enough, in her opinion, um, to kind of keep up with uh, economic changes that happen normally, like increased rent, increased cost at the grocery store. As a business person, I mean, you head up the Trump organization. What do you see happening in the future, let, let's say next six months with wages? Well, you know, it's really interesting that she said that because, you know, unemployment's the lowest it's ever been. I mean, in fact, if you go out there, it's, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, you've got too many job offers. And, um, you know, you see that across the board, right? Unemployment is, is the lowest it's been in, in, in literally decades. And it's also the first time that wages have started climbing. I mean, this country went through a 15-year period of time where people didn't get an increase in their salary. Um, in fact, most of the time, the exact opposite happened. Most of the time, their salaries decreased, and people started working, you know, two and sometimes three jobs, you know, just to get by. You know, this is the first year that, you know, we've, we've seen an increase in wages, and a lot of that's because, quite frankly, um, unemployment is so low that, you know, it's, it's spawned real competition. Um, and that's continuing. And you know, for her to say that there hasn't been an increase, I mean, just look at look at taxes, look at the tax cut. I mean, the tax cut, you know, roughly $2,600 to every family um, in this nation just on the tax side. Um, and then you look at how much money is infused into companies because of that, where they're able to go and invest in equipment, machinery, and the physical plant and put new roofs on buildings and invest in equipment and, and, and invest in their employees. Um, it's the first time that we've seen um, wages go up, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing for this country. Um, but again, to see um, you know no jobs out there, um, you know, no, meaning you know no no vacancy, meaning everybody has jobs. I mean, that's a that's a very powerful thing. I mean, manufacturing is coming back to this country. We were losing factories. We lost seventy thousand factories, as you know, Stacey, between two thousand one and two thousand sixteen. This country lost seventy thousand factories, and. You know, now you see factories coming back into this country. You see manufacturing come back into this country. You see, you know, literally areas that were ghost towns that used to produce great products and great widgets. I mean, they're coming back um, to America, and they're excited to be coming back to America. And companies are excited to announce that they're not leaving America, whereas most companies were, were being forced out because of massive regulation and massive taxes and, and everything else. And so we're in a really, really good spot Um as an economy, uh, we're in a good spot as a nation, and uh, I'm proud of everything he's done. 
I'm I'm really happy with it too. I mean, when I see the unemployment rates in different segments and communities that have had persistently high unemployment going down to the levels that we're seeing right now, I have to go back to the first year of the the Trump administration where he talked about reducing regulations and everyone was like, "Ah, who cares about that? He's just horrible. He's mean and he he hates all the Mexicans and so we just got to oppose him." And I, my ears perked up. I thought wow, if he really reduces a lot of regulations, that could really unleash the economy. And that's exactly what happened. And following that on with the the tax reform, it was a one-two punch that was exactly what our economy needed. And now it's the trade. I really see the trade as being that third integral item that has to happen. And I love the toughness that he's exhibiting with, well, China. I mean, they're, they're the number one offender stealing our intellectual property and really doing things that no good business person should allow, which is why it's so great that we have Donald Trump looking at these deals and reassessing them and, and busting them up and starting over. So where do you see it going with China? Will they eventually come to the table and stop kind of, you know, it's a lot of bluster. I don't see them doing anything right now. It is a lot of bluster. I'm really glad you said the, uh, you know, the point about intellectual property. It's probably the thing that bothers me, me the most. I mean, you know, here, here we are as a country. We develop, you know, we spend 20 years developing, you know, next generation fighter plane. And all of a sudden, you see the exact same planes come rolling off the line in China because they, you know, they stole the blueprints under a different administration, you know, for, for the plane, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, that's that's very very scary stuff, right? If 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 you can't develop, if you can't innovate, what do you do? You know, well, in their case, they steal. Um, and that is a very, very dangerous recipe. Um, it's also interesting that a lot of times you'd have people, I mean, you'd have great Americans who'd come out and say, well, you know, I can't believe you do this tariff thing. We believe in free trade. Well, my father believes in free trade, too. The problem is trade wasn't free. You know, if you are an American manufacturer and you want to send a product to China, they would charge you anywhere between 20 and 50 percent, you know, if they even took the product in. Right? A lot of times they say, oh, listen, they didn't bother sending it, but listen, we're just not going to accept it into our country. You know, on the other hand, they would take all their products, they would dump them on our docks, and we would charge them absolutely nothing to do. So you'd have American companies that could not compete around the world because, um, A, they didn't want our products, and B, if they did, it was anywhere between 20 and 50 percent more expensive than a comparable product that they would buy, you know, wherever they were in, in, in China. And that's not free trade. I mean, that is not free trade. That's trade where we as a country are totally getting ripped off, and it's one of those things my father refused to stand for. And you know when he put, um, you know when he put, you know the billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of tariffs on on China a couple of weeks ago, he probably saw it. Their market literally crashed, and it's unfortunate that the media doesn't report on this. But you know since January, China's stock markets are down 20 percent. I mean they're down 20 percent. Wow. Now you never hear that when you, you know, when when you again listen to TV, you know, you you read the newspapers, but their markets are down 20 percent. Look at where we are. We're doing the best we've ever done. Our markets are at all-time highs, um, you know, across the board. I mean, our, our economy is is raging, um, and so clearly we're winning this this trade war, for lack of a better term. Clearly, you know, we have the better stick. Clearly, we have the better cards. And you have somebody who's a much better poker player and a much better negotiator, and he's using them very effectively. So, I think we'd all like to get to the the point where you have true free trade. Um, you know, across the globe. And it's not just with China, it's with the EU, it's with the rest of the world, it's with South America, it's with Mexico, it's with everybody. It's true free trade. Um, unfortunately, people have been using us for way too long. It's a reason we had $800 billion in deficits every single year. And it's one of the things that was driving up our national deficit the way, um, you know, the way it was climbing. I'm so glad you, you 
uh, talked about their market and what's happening there because honestly, and I'm like, I'm a news hound. I'm reading all the time and I didn't even know that. And so for the listeners out there, you know, thanks to Eric Trump and to Donald Trump for, (laughs) first of all, the news and then making it happen. And I look forward to seeing President Trump dragging the Chinese government, kicking and screaming by their hair if necessary to the table to get to that optimal positioning. And the, and there's one more factor that I don't think the news reports on a lot, Eric, and that is that they have something called the 27, or 2037 initiative, which is where they expect to have the Chinese yen replace the U.S. dollar as the currency of reserve and to have their economy dwarf our own. But they can't do that with their communist government and communist schools and the, the bulk of their population living in poverty, which is what propels them to steal from Americans because we have all of the innovation and creativity and expertise. One of the things that they've been doing recently that I've been reading about is that they just skip, they leapfrog over all of the stealing in their country when the plans come through the factory there. They're now buying tech startups and companies that are doing innovative, creative things in Silicon Valley. They buy the company or they provide the bulk of the venture capitalist funds so that they can then have access to the emerging technologies. Is there anything we can do about that? Yeah, and I, I think there's other problems. I mean, I think they try and buy up entire industries so they can become vertically integrated in the industry. One of the industries that they're very focused on, which to me is a little scary, is uh, telecommunication, right? I mean, how do you fight a war if you can't communicate and if somebody controls communications? And so, you know, everything that goes into kind of the communication supply chain, and, you know, they're very focused on, on, on that and, and, uh, and other things. And, hey, listen, I don't blame them. I mean, I think, I think, they're, I think they're being smart. Um, I think they have been smart, and I think, you know, my father's been the first one to say this, but... I think they've outplayed um, the U.S. for a very long time. Um, the difference is today you have a very different commander-in-chief. You have a very different leader. Um, he's not going to be pushed over. He's got more backbone than any human being I've ever met in my life, um, times 10. I mean, that's probably an understatement. Um, he will stand up. He will fight it. Um, he will not let this country be taken advantage of. And, again, you, you see it. I mean, our markets are at all-time highs, and, you know, um, you know, China is down 20% um, this year. Um, and, uh, you know, that has to scare them. Uh, in terms of the 2037 initiative that you're referring to, that has to scare them if, if their market's dropping like that. And, you know, again, we're, we're consumers of goods. They're producers of goods. If you don't have a consumer for a good that you produce, well, you know, you've got a real problem. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we really hold um, all the cards. And, um, I, listen, it would be great to get to a place where everybody just trades on an even playing field and you don't have, you know, again, $800 billion worth of deficit um, a year. Um, and I think, you know, and I'm hopeful that we ultimately get there. I mean, I think that's everybody's hope and desire and wish. Um, but and if I think not President Trump the right is the thing, one to do it. Um, then, you know, we might not. Eric Trump, head of the Trump Organization and son of our president. Thank you so much for coming on today. I hope to speak to you again soon. Stacey, thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. We'll be back with our two right after this. You guys keep it here. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.